begins in uh, hopelessness as George Bailey, played by um, Jimmy Stewart, uh, is about to end his life by jumping from a bridge because he doesn't feel like his life matters. But then at the end of the scene, knowing that there's hope um, because his life has made a difference. By the way, how many of you have seen that classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, I should ask how many of you have not seen. It's interesting. If you, yeah, okay, some of you, yep, yep, there are some of you. Okay, we, I just saw an article yesterday in the paper, Stockton Record, the top five Christmas movies to watch, and that was number one on the list. If you have not seen it, though, or just to remind you, the premise of the movie is uh, George Bailey sees what life would have been like if he had never been born. And uh, he comes to find out that the town he lives in, Bedford Falls, becomes Pottersville. It's a red light district with loud music, flesh peddling neon signs all around. And um, all because he wasn't born, the difference that his life made. And I got to thinking about that at this Christmas season of um, what would our world be like if Jesus was never born? Think about that. What would Stockton be like if Jesus was never born? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, there would be an incredible lack of hope in our world today if that was the case. I mean, think about that. Life would be totally different, not just even here at Christmas time, um, but because people would probably, you know, create, you know, holidays, there would be a New Year's and Hanukkah and Ramadan and festival, the frozen icicle or whatever you want to throw in there, anything else you can put in there. But I'm talking about what if God had never intervened through a little child into life to make a difference. And besides just, you know, us receiving salvation, but the fact of what about the teachings that Jesus gave to us and the morals and the values and the value even on human life. I mean, oftentimes at this Christmas time, we hear, don't take the Christ out of Christmas, right? Don't take the Christ out of Christmas. Well, what if we took Jesus out of history? What would this world look like? What would it be like? What, what, where would we be? What, what would the city of Stockton look like if the churches and if Christians and if people who profess the name of Jesus and truly tried to live out the name of Jesus never existed. And that hope was not there. I mean, besides Jesus being the greatest person, I believe, who, who ever lived, he changed virtually every aspect of human life. And the sad part is most people don't even realize that. They don't recognize that. In fact, you know what the worst thing about the Christmas uh, season is and the biggest tragedy is not the commercialization. It's the trivialization. It's, it's the triviality of it. It's saying, oh, yeah, you know, a little baby coming to the world. Okay, we celebrate that every year. And forgetting about the awe of what that means, the awe of the creation becoming one of us, the creator becoming a created part, the incarnation of God, Emmanuel, God with us. We take that so for granted way too much, much like maybe even electricity or, you know, the heat and the air that we have, a car that you get into and runs um, so that you can drive to work, drive to church, uh, the freedoms that we experience in this country. We take that incarnation and what that means way, way too much for granted. 
In fact, let me kind of explain to you or show you a little visual demonstration of the miracle of the incarnation. Take a look at this picture if it's going to come up. I'm not sure. We've been having some PowerPoint issues up. Okay, we'll go with that. There's, there's the world. Big place, isn't it? I mean, we are just a tiny, tiny speck in the midst of that. This is uh, United States, Mexico down here. So we are somewhere right up in there right now on this huge planet. I mean, this big planet. Do you realize, though, that compared to the sun, the sun can hold... Here, here's Earth compared to the sun. The sun can hold 1,200,000 planets the size of our Earth. That's how many earths you could throw into the sun and it fill up the ball of the sun. And the sun isn't even a huge star. It's kind of a middle-sized star. One of the nearest or the next nearest star in the the, uh, solar system is five times the size of the sun that we have here. And Betelgeuse, which is uh, seen with the naked eye in Orion, huge. It's 248 times the size of that. And Arcturus is 10 times the size of that. When you realize you go backwards on that, that 248 times the larger nearest star, which is five times the sun, which holds 1.2 million Earths in the size of it, you realize what a speck of dust we are. I mean, look at this, this, this next picture here. I found this as well, just kind of by comparison. Here's our sun. Here's our earth. Here's the size of one of the starry masses that would go all the way up this way if you really looked at it. And it doesn't even have a name. It's just R136A1. I mean, that's how huge some of these now stars that they are discovering and body masses that they are discovering in outer space. And you just have to marvel at that, that the God who created all of that, please get this, became a single-cell zygote, which became an embryo, which became a fetus, born as a child at Christmas time, or what we celebrate as Christmas time. That's the miracle of what God did. That's the awe of the incarnation, the awe of Christmas that I pray you will never, ever treat as trivial ever again. How big the created is to become a single cell, to grow to a fetus that grew into a child. That's a miracle. That's the Christmas awe. And so what I want to do for just a bit is look at how far-reaching that God who invaded our world and became Jesus, little baby that grew into a man, how the incarnation of God has changed the course of history. And so I'm going to get a little uh, scholastic or scholarly at the beginning of this. You can write it down on your uh, outline if you like. It's in the box. And then we're going to get more personal towards the end of this message here. But let me just give you some thoughts of the impact of the life of Jesus. What if he was never born? That's the question we're kind of asking here today. What difference has the life of Jesus made in the world? Well, let me show you some things in the world. You look at the respect for life, and we're not going to put anything on the PowerPoint. You can just kind of write or jot down some notes as you see it. Do you realize in classical Rome and Greece, it was dangerous to conceive a baby? 
Abortion was rampant. In fact, abandonment of infants, if they were sick or unwanted, they were oftentimes taken into the woods or up on a mountainside and just left, and the animals would come by. Sometimes even people would come by with their own perverted uses for the children and would just take them as they wished. And into that kind of a world comes Jesus. And realizing he could have come as a man, he could have come as a superhero, he could have come as an emperor, but he comes as a child, as an infant, into that kind of a world, humbled himself to be found as a baby, then his teachings and his lifestyle taught the care of the poor and the infirm, the value life, the value life, even the life of the unborn. And so in ancient Rome, Christians saved many abandoned babies. Orphanage was developed, orphanages and nurseries developed. Even um, uh, to today, we often would say that Christians were the first to give that kind of value to life as God intended for it to be. You look at the uh, status of women in the world today compared to what it used to be in the biblical days and before that. Wives were often seen as property of their husbands. In fact, in India, China, Rome, and Greece, men believed that women were not able or competent to be independent. And in India, widows are often burned, were burned upon the funeral piles of their husbands as their husbands died and were burned their ashes. Women had to voluntarily or involuntarily throw themselves on that burning pile of flesh to kill themselves in honor of their husbands and their lack of worth in the world today or in the world as it used to be. It wasn't until the 19th century when British came into India and the missionaries came there and told of the value of women in that society and in the world. In fact, Charles Spurgeon told of a Hindu woman who said to a missionary, surely your Bible was written by a woman. He said, well, why so? And she said, because so it says so many kind things about and for women. Now think about that today and the message you hear in our media and from women's lib and other liberals such as that of women of saying you're pushing women down, you're not allowing them to have their equal status. Oh no, the Bible came into the world at a time when the status of women was so, so low and Jesus gave value to that, the status of women. Look at the family. We also have talked about that, how Christian values were introduced and family values. In fact, about 100 years after Jesus, Aristides, who was was an Athenian philosopher, wrote in defense of the Christians to the emperor of the day. Here's what he said. He said, they, speaking about Christians, do not commit adultery or morality. He said, their wives, O king, are as pure as virgins and their daughters are modest. Their men abstain from all unlawful sexual contact and from impurity in the hopes of recompense that is to come in another world. In other words, they live differently. They stand out in our society. They have a hope in something else that is to come. They know the person who created them. They live differently and they know that the rewards are of another world. Christians kept that type of family values together, especially in the area of sexual immorality and what that can do to families and breaking it apart. Look at the world of science. I wrote that down as well. Science. Um, The late Francis Schaeffer wrote the book, How Then Should We Live? And he acclaims that both Alfred North Whitehead and American physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer um, stress that modern 
science was born out of a Christian worldview. You look at such uh, people as physicist Blaise Pascal, uh, who worked much with uh, mathematics and probability, uh, even bringing um, a computer into um, setting the foundation for a computer. Even Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, many people will say that he was classified as a Unitarian, but he believed and had a profession of faith in Christ. Here's what he said, in fact. He said, this most beautiful system of the stars, the planets, the comets, and the sun could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being that created all of this. You look at the area of education, the last one I wrote down in the box as well. The education of the masses found its origins in Christianity, the Reformation and getting God's word into people's hands, not to just the educated and to the elite, but into the masses of the people. Look at the education system here in America, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, those East Coast Ivy Leagues, those began as schools to teach Christian thought, and God was heavily involved in that teaching, and Christian thought was heavily involved, even to our own University of the Pacific. That's a Methodist uh, uh, organization that started up UOP, and yet today you would have to search far and wide to see much about Jesus on that campus. I mean, that truly is living as though Jesus was never born. I mean, we don't have to go very far to see kind of what a world looks like because so many in our society today in 2014 have left Jesus out of the picture, and it's like he was not born. I mean, think about what would change. We know the golden rule, right? The golden rule, do unto others as others would do unto you. What would it be called? The, the, the dirty rule or something like that, right? Do to others before they get to you, right? Those kinds of things might be in place. You think about the love your enemies, how Jesus came and shared that at the time and day. He even taught, he even heard him say, you've heard it said, hate your enemies. And Jesus says, no, love them. I mean, there would not be a way to heaven if Jesus did not come. John 3, 16, think about that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. Look to see what it would be like if there was no Jesus. In fact, John three sixteen, the antithesis, for God so loved the world that he sat in heaven and said, if anyone reaches moral perfection, then I will think about letting him have eternal life. Are we not thankful that that's not the way that we live? This would be a totally different place. Our world would be a totally different place if Jesus was not born. He shaped history as a human being. And yet as great and as profound as an impact Jesus has had on the world, really the biggest impact is the transforming spiritual power that he wants us to live with. Because it's not just a a society and a culture that he has impacted. Really, the reason he came was so that Jesus would live inside of us. Our life as a person on earth will be better, yes, if we follow the teachings of Jesus, but that doesn't even compare to the benefits in the eternal salvation that the life of Jesus provides for us. If you search throughout history, and see how far people have come away from the teachings of Scripture, you go through in most every major religion, most every religion that is around today, says human beings have to obtain some sort of access to God by what you do, 
You have to give so much. You have to do so much. You have to be reincarnated by your work. It's a system of working towards God, workspace going to God. And God, the message that is in here is that God said, no, you cannot do that on your own. That's why I come down to you. The message of Christianity is God becoming one of us to save us, to then bring us up to him because of what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the miracle of the incarnation. That's the hope that we have as believers in Christ and believers of this word. That's what it means for Jesus to come and to live amongst us and not just to live as a baby, but then to grow and to be a man, go to the cross for us so that we can have a relationship with God. And so just in the remaining few minutes, let me get a little personal on some things and ask this question. Does it make a difference that Jesus was born? In fact, let me get even more personal than that. Does it make a difference in your life today because Jesus was born? Or do you live as though Jesus was never born into the world? Think about that. Do you live that way? Maybe you should talk to your spouse, your husband, your children, and ask them, What difference does it look like God has made in my life here today? See, our country, our history, our very calendar from A.D., B.C., and how that came about is shaped by Jesus living as a human being. But the real reason he came was so that he could supernaturally live inside of you. That's why he came, to make a way back to God. So does that make a difference? And does it make a difference at this time of year, at Christmas time, with how you treat this season? In fact, let me show you a quote here from Henry Nouwen, pastor, theologian. He says this, he says, Once I'm convinced that preparing the heart is a lot more important than preparing the tree, I'll be a lot less frustrated at the end of the holidays. How are you walking into this holiday season? Where, where, where's your mind? Where's your heart? Where, where's your stress level? You know that the holidays rank third on the average American's list of stresses just behind death and divorce. Third, Now, some of you college students will probably say finals should be somewhere on that list, right? Especially at this time of year. But death and divorce and then the holidays come in at stressor number three, why? Because, because we try and cram a whole year's worth of activities into just about a one month's period of time, right? I mean, we feel bad we haven't talked with Aunt Mabel since, you know, we hadn't seen her in May, and Cousin Eddie really bugs you, but I guess you can put up with him because you only see him for one night in the year, and then you got, you know, feeling guilty because the only two things you say to your half-brother's sister's husband is, hey, let's get together sometime, and you never do, and can you move your car because it's blocking me in and I got to go. That's about all we get to at those family gatherings. And we feel guilty because we don't do more and, 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 and maintain contact. And there's, there's holiday stress and then there's family stress and then there's financial stress and then there's scheduling stress. And, and we try and rekindle maybe for our children or grandchildren a, a childhood kind of magic that Christmas has to bring about. And Jesus, who's the real reason we do what we do at this time, gets about 6th, 7th, 8th on the list. Remembering to focus and concentrate and take some time to back up and say, hey, 
What's this season all about? Jesus just kind of gets left out. How do we keep that message a central priority at Christmas time? How do we experience the living Jesus in our lives? In fact, that's the question I pose to you. How do you experience the living Jesus at Christmas time? Well, let me share a couple of stories with you from Scripture and see how you can do that. In fact, the first one's out of Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, if you could open up to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to show you what uh, the first Christmas was like. And then I'm going to show you a second story of how every Christmas has gone after that first Christmas. And so Luke chapter 2. We're going to study more parts of this passage in the weeks to come. But you see the beginning, 1 through 7, talks about Caesar Augustus and the message that came. Mary was going to have a child. And then verses 8 through 14, or 8 through actually 21, talks about the shepherds and what they did, hearing on the hillside, and then traveling to see this baby. And so verses 16 through 19 read like this. And they, the shepherds, went with haste, And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now you get this whole scene, you get all that's going on, and then you see Mary, and it says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. There's the first lesson learned. The first lesson learned we see from what Mary did, and that's this. Take time to contemplate. Take time to wonder. Take time to have awe in this Christmas season. Take time to ponder. Take time to say, what would this life have been like without Jesus? What would my life be like without Jesus? What would this world be like without Jesus? Take time to say, Jesus, you are the reason that I do what I do, but can you speak to me? Can you incarnate me? Can I have the reality of what that means each and every morning when I wake up? In fact, let let me give you a little bit of homework. I think I've given this to you in years past, but let me just give it again as a reminder. Sometime... This week, in the evening time at night, grab your Christmas tree, turn the lights on, or if you don't have a Christmas tree set, light a candle and sit in a darkened room with just illuminated by that candle of that Christmas tree and read Luke chapter 2 and just bask in the awe of what that is saying. That Jesus was God, is God in human form, God becoming one of us in this huge universe that the starry skies and the angels just proclaimed his birth now gets zeroed down to this little child born in Bethlehem and just get lost in the awe and the amazement of what that message means to you. Now, there's your first homework assignment. I got a couple other ones for you. But compare that first Christmas story to how we have probably treated Christmas every time since. And this story is found in Luke chapter 10. So if you want to jump ahead about eight chapters, Luke chapter 10, 
verses 38 through 42. It's a story that many of us are probably familiar with, but it's a good time to bring it back up. The story about Mary and Martha, this is a different Mary now. And it says this, as they, that being Jesus, on his way, entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. That could be Christmas 2014. Us Marthas preparing the home. Us Marthas preparing the lights outside. Us Marthas putting up the Christmas tree. Us Marthas doing all the shopping. Us Marthas doing all the festivities that go on in this Christmas season and forgetting the main thing. Now, I'm not saying that we should not be doing all those things. All those things are wonderful to do. But notice how Jesus says this. This is priority. This is first, that she sit at my feet, that she Be with me first and foremost. And especially at this time of year that we would do that. In fact, why was Martha so frustrated? Let me give you a little cheat sheet on this one. This is not in your notes, but you can have this one as a freebie, all right? Two words you can put down here. Why was Martha so frustrated? Two words. Unreasonable expectations. Unreasonable expectations. She was expecting things to be perfect, to have this perfect feast, and she was thinking she should spend time with Jesus, or she could spend time with Jesus. If she thought that she could do both, and that's what she was doing, then she was setting herself up for failure. So let me bring this home. What are your Christmas expectations? What are you placing some sort of hope in? Presents, doing all the Christmas cards, going to all the dinners, the family get-togethers, the travels, the traditions, all of the to-dos. Let me give you your homework, all right? This is the homework assignment for the second point. Homework assignment. Write down all the things you hope to accomplish and do at this Christmas season. And then cross some off the list. Now, I know that would probably preach much better on December 23rd when you can't do it all anyway. But do it now. Say, is this really necessary? Do I really have to do this? And if you do, then make sure you're setting the time aside first and foremost before you jump into all those things because then your priorities will be set into motion. And so the lesson learned, the fill in there, is remember to relax. Remember to relax. Don't get so upset. Don't get so uptight. Don't be so Martha-like that you're doing all the other things and forget what the season is really about because nothing ever goes as planned, does it? It doesn't. And then we get thrown off because we thought that it should have been a certain way. In fact, you know what one of the most cherished images or pictures are at this time of year? 
It's this picture right here that we're going to put up of Mary and Joseph um, kind of looking into the eyes and the face of Jesus, the baby. You can see the light kind of gently coming in from the one side and this pristine type of picture. Most of us would probably look at this picture and say, you know, that is a picture of heavenly peace. But you know what that is in reality? That was unexpected disaster in Mary and Joseph's life. I mean, you think about all that they were going through, an unplanned pregnancy, the social ridicule that they faced in their society and in their town that they came from, painful travel on a donkey or not for a nine-month-old woman, uh, a nine-month pregnant woman, let's say that the right way, Um, the physical ailment that that created on her body, the birthing center in a barn to get to this place. And yet, and yet, I believe that is a picture of heavenly peace because Joseph and Mary knew how to keep their focus right. But no, that that didn't go as expected. That was not according to their plans. That's how God planned for it to be for them. And so if it was about their plans, they would be looking much different in this moment. But because they knew, as Mary said, I am your servant, do as you wish, Lord then she could have this gaze upon her face. Joseph could have that gaze upon his face. Because mama's happy, everyone's happy, right? (laughs) Learn to relax. Remember to relax. Let me give you the last fill-in at the bottom of the page here. The last way we can experience the living Jesus at Christmas time, and that's this. Jump back to Luke 2. I just read verse 17, but let me read it again. And when the shepherds saw the baby in the manger, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They had been told by the shepherds, and in fact, it says that they went worshiping, they went rejoicing, they went spreading the news, the good news of what they had seen. And so let me give you the last fill in there, and that is to share the hope. Lesson learned, share the hope. That's what this season does come into uh, uh, being. It comes into a place of sharing with others. That's why we give. You know, so I hope that in the midst of all this, even many of you, many, many of you taking the carrying Christmas tree ornaments would understand the true meaning behind that. Um, You know, maybe it's your family helping someone else uh, in your neighborhood or at a shelter. I would hope it wouldn't just be at a Christmas time, though, but all year round that you might volunteer at a shelter and helping in those types of of, uh, seasons of life. Um, Very specifically though what's one of the best things that you can do of sharing the hope of this year it's taking what pastor mike told us about the postcard that you have there and saying who could i invite who could i share this hope with because i realize how tough it can be to sit down with someone and talk spiritual things and get them to that place that's why we have these kind of outreach type events to expose them to the message so that they can see the hope that we have here at first baptist the hope of jesus in fact our family went on a walk yesterday throughout the neighborhood and as we came back one of our neighbors met us we were talking with him and uh, we invited him to come next weekend to one of the musicals i was shocked at how open he was to want to come in fact he asked us two or three times he says now what time are those out okay friday or saturday seven o'clock okay okay we'll be there he he was very open it was it was though he was he was wanting something to get to do in this christmas season you will come across people in your lives as well 
be it your neighbors, your family, your work associates, who will be very open and receptive if you pray about God, give me an opportunity, and let me take the opportunity to share with them. In fact, um, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, I shared with you uh, about one family in our church who had invited to Back to Church Sunday 50 family members to come. And when I shared that, there was kind of a across the congregation like wow who's got 50 family members and friends that they could come and invite to come to a church service well you know the family kind of took that up as a challenge and for a couple weeks leading up to last Sunday they had told me that they were going to invite a hundred family and friends to come and last Sunday they did about six rows here at the 1115 service were all filled up with their family and friends coming to hear the message of hope that we have after the service, he said, Pastor Brad, can we get together and just have you pray with all of us? And so we did. We went into the chapel, and one of the family members has, has had cancer, and he, he is dying, and the doctors have said there's not a lot of hope left for you physically, but he has accepted the Lord into his life. In fact, the family member who was inviting all these people had shared his faith with this other family member, and just about two or three months ago, he accepted Christ into his life, and they used that opportunity to say, here, come, come to our church, hear this message. And so I had the opportunity to share with about 90 of these people about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. I mean, that is a small church. That is an, that is an average-sized church in America. I don't know if you realize that or not, but the average-sized church in America is 80 to 120 people. That, those were just their friends that they've brought. And we say we don't have one, two, three that God might lay upon our heart to say, hey, would you come? Would you hear the message of hope that we experience? Can anybody walk into this worship center and not see that there is hope in here? (laughs) Right? Right? Especially at this Christmas season. Take the time to share the hope. The true reason for doing this is not, well, it's Christmas time and it's the season for giving. The true reason for this is because it's it's because God reached out to you. He shared his love with you. And he expects us to now share that with others. Our reaching out to others is a result of God reaching out to us. Let me say that one more time. Our reaching out to others is a result of God reaching out to us. The hope of the world is Jesus. The hope of Stockton is Jesus. Let me share one last thought. At Christmas time, it's the time that we talk about the incarnation, when, when Jesus was born. And it's at that time when God, I would say, took a billion steps to come to you. I mean, we saw how huge the universe is, right? We expo- uh, showed those stars and the galaxies and how big. God took a billion steps to come to you. But he always leaves the last step to you. He won't force himself on you. He leaves that last step up to you. It is your choice. God wants your love. He doesn't want your obedience into a relationship. He doesn't want to force you into that. He wants a love relationship with you. And so that last step is left to you. For some of you who have become Christians here, some of you maybe a few months ago, maybe a few years ago, maybe for some of you a few decades ago, 
you can see how your life is different. You can see how you have impacted other people with the love of Jesus. In fact, we, we, I've, we've had people in our small group who say, my life is totally different than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Well, for some of you who are here today and you've not accepted Christ yet, today is the day that you can learn to change history. Today is the day that you can, that you can look back on, December 7th, 2014, and say that was the day that everything changed. And the people who came behind me, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, they lived differently because some of the decisions I made. Again, there are people 20 years ago who made that decision, and today their lives are different and their families are different because they made that decision. Because let me, let me make this real personal to you. What if you were never born again? Your life would be different, wouldn't it? Your values would be different. Probably the way you live, the way you interact with people would be different. At least I would hope it would be different than with Jesus, than without Jesus. What if you were never born again? In the afterlife, you would have no hope. My message today is this. What if Jesus was never born? That should impact you. That should share, that should give you a sense of hope because we know Jesus was born. And so we want to live that way and our lives should be different because we live that way. And my prayer is that as you take the time at this Christmas season to ponder that and to contemplate that, my prayer is as you learn how to relax at this Christmas season and not live like the rest of the world, is that you will also share that hope with others because for some, they're living as though Jesus never did live. But you know differently. You know he did, and you know he can live inside of you. God bless you as you pray about that. God bless you as you share that hope. God bless you as you live differently because of how Jesus lives in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, what a, what a thought of how different our world would be if you had not entered in the form of Jesus how hopeless our world would be if we did not know that there was a way to having a relationship with this God who made this world. Lord, I thank you for the peace that has come upon so many here in this congregation. A a peace that cannot be explained in another way. A peace that is only explained by knowing that there's a purpose for our life by knowing that there is a peaceful reaction to the circumstances that come and to know that you have poured your life into the person of Jesus whom we can read about, talk about, but more than that, live with by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that is a miracle. Forgive us when we've made that a trivial fact. Forgive us when we have not dwelt upon the wonder and amazement of what that actually means. God, I know there are hundreds across this auditorium who have experienced your hope in their lives. But I also know there's a number in here who have not. So if today you are here and you would say, you know, 
I've never prayed to receive Christ into my life. Or perhaps you're saying, I'm not sure if I have. Then entering into this Christmas season, in fact, from this day on, December 7th, can be a day when you reshape history. When life can look different because of the decision you make here today. And that would be if you would simply pray these words, Jesus, I understand now that you came to live in this world for me. And you went to the cross and died for me. And you changed the way people can live by inviting you into their heart. And so today, Lord Jesus, today, I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. If today is that, if that's your desire, just pray those words in your heart. Lord Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. Today's a day when I make a U-turn. I don't follow my own ways. I don't follow the ways of the world. But Jesus, I ask for forgiveness of my sins and I follow you. If you have prayed those simple words today, then you know what? God now inhabits your heart. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you and you have been called born again. I would pray today before you leave this auditorium, if that was the decision you just made here today, that you would come talk to me, Pastor Stephen, or any of our other pastors who are here. Or you could talk to the friend who brought you today or at our Next Step Center in the middle of our Welcome Center. We have some information for you that will help you take those next steps of getting connected to a family, of growing in God's word, of opening up scriptures and seeing what a love letter it is for you, the teachings that Jesus gave to us to live the life that he desired for us and the purpose which we are to live with. God, for those of us who have already made that prayer, we prayed for those who just made that decision today. And we also uh, pray for others who we pray will make that decision these upcoming months. Lord, all of us within this congregation are praying for people who we might come into contact with this week. And your Holy Spirit would put it upon our hearts of who we can share an invitation with. Be that to come here on Sunday, be it to come here Friday night, Saturday, be it to just sit down and share the hope that we have of knowing you. Thank you, Lord, that we live differently because we know you. We have a hope. We know the hope for the world. We know the hope for Stockton. We know the hope for our hearts. And it's Jesus. Jesus, come. Lord, we celebrate that. Even as we sing this last song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We know that you have come for us, but we continue to desire that and look towards that second coming. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and worship you even now. Amen.